Thank you, Randy, for uh, leading us. We appreciated the words that Randy read earlier from Luke 24, but the actual text of our message this evening is found way back in the Old Testament to the book of Job, uh, Job 19, uh, verses 25 through to verse 27. Uh, the verse that is particularly of interest to us at this moment is this verse, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. I don't know if uh, you've ever thought to yourself, how in the world did Job know anything about the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ? How is it possible that uh, this man, yes, his book contains a great deal of suffering. It's a fascinating book. Um, the first couple of chapters are, are very encouraging. Then there's this big section in the middle that is challenging, I have to be honest. And then you get the section at the end where he talks about meeting a dinosaur. And it's very, very fascinating when you see and read what's taking place. But how in the world did Job know about Jesus Christ? For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. Dr. James Sidlow Baxter was an eminent uh, theologian and pastor of a church uh, in uh, the north of England. And uh, I have to be honest and just let you know that uh, I had the, uh, the opportunity of speaking in his church uh, now, it was only to give the children's talk, but it was a blessing to be able to do that. And I had really appreciated uh, James Sidlow Baxter. I've got uh, a couple of his books, and uh, one of them, which is his survey of uh, the scriptures, is fascinating when it comes to talking about Job. And Dr. Baxter would suggest that the book of Job is not just the oldest written book in the Bible, but he suggests that possibly it is the oldest book in the entire world. Now, if he's not right on that, well, it doesn't really matter because we do know that the book of Job is indeed Job is old indeed. Job could have lived more than a thousand years before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he says in chapter 19, verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and I shall stand at last on the earth. Uh, there's some interesting things about Job, of course, that uh, we look at. We recognize that he was not Jewish. He was a Gentile. And this in itself makes chapter 19, verses 25 to 27, absolutely fascinating. Not only does Job say that he knows his Redeemer lives, but he goes on to say that one day the Redeemer will stand on the earth. Again, think about it. How is this possible? And Job doesn't even stop there because he goes on and he says that after he dies physically, he will be resurrected to life again. So he's talking about eternity. These are things that Job knows about and he's prepared to talk about them. But he doesn't even stop there. He goes on and he says, yet in my flesh shall I see God. In his flesh, Job is talking about the resurrection of the body. Again, fascinating. The oldest book possibly in the entire world. And here is this man speaking to us so clearly. Now what has all of this got to do with Christmas? Well it's got everything to do with Christmas, hasn't it? Even Handel in his Messiah says 
Um, and he's, uh, he quotes from, from Job 19 and also 1 Corinthians when he says this. He says, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. For now is Christ risen from the dead, the first fruits of them that sleep. Now, of course, we recognize that Job 19 is talking of the kinsman redeemer. And of course, the kinsman redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because Jesus took upon himself human nature. This is the incarnation that we think of, particularly at this time of the year. He took on himself human nature so that he might reveal God to us. He experienced all that we experienced. He died for our sins and then returned to heaven to represent us before his Father. Jesus is willing to save. And Jesus is able to save. And one day he shall stand upon the earth and he shall exercise judgment. And he will vindicate his own people, those who have placed their trust and their hope in him as saviour. Now, as you read Job, you know that this man went through an enormous amount of suffering, more than most of us would even begin to be able to uh, talk about or to think about. He lost everything, including his family and his wealth and his health. Everything this world offers can be and oftentimes is a great disappointment. And it's possible that there are some of us here this evening that feel and know and can relate, maybe in a small way, to what Job has experienced and is talking about. And perhaps we feel as we look around and we meet our friends and as we talk and we have conversations and we suddenly think to ourselves, but you don't really know what suffering is, do you? You certainly don't know what I've been through. You don't know the struggles that I have faced. And yet we have the example of Job, and Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. Friends, the world can and often is just a great disappointment. But I want to remind you, and I want to explain to you, and I want to call to you and express to you from the bottom of my heart that whilst the world is a disappointment Jesus Christ never is a disappointment never has he been a disappointment to anybody who has placed their hope and their trust in him Jesus meets our expectations and is real in an ever deepening way to those who know him to those who trust in him but all too often we make mistakes when it comes to our relationship with God. And of course, the mistakes are always ours. They're never His. It is always us who are the weak ones. It is always us who will walk away from God, who will perhaps allow other things and situations to come into our lives, and we take our eyes off of Him, and we look to the world around us, and sometimes we can get this silly notion in our hearts and lives to think that other people 
can take the place of God. That other circumstances can overrule and be the place that we want to seek. God is perfect. He never makes mistakes. He never lets us down. It is us who allow sin into our lives and it is us who walk away from God. One of our biggest mistakes is that we become unmindful of Scripture. And we've spoken about this already because some of the songs and hymns, uh, that song that we sang, Thou didst leave thy throne uh, above, and there was a, a verse, I can't quote it, but it speaks about the Word of God. It speaks about Scripture. It speaks about prophecy in it. The Bible, the inspired Word of God, written over a period of about 2,000 years, is full of Jesus Christ. Just as we've spoken here in Job, and we see that Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And as we read the Scriptures and as we look through them, we discover that right the way through from the very beginning in Genesis to the very end in Revelation, Jesus is central. Our relationship with Jesus is priority. And we discover that it's important next week on Sunday morning, Christmas Day, we're going to look at, uh, God willing, Genesis chapter 49. And if you know what Genesis chapter 49 is about, it's about Jacob and he's talking to his sons and he's talking about many different things. He goes through each of the different tribes and then suddenly in the middle of it, he starts talking about Jesus. He starts talking about salvation. He starts talking about some of the most wonderful things. And so as we come together next week, we're going to look at uh, Genesis 49. I've never seen it before, but it's been a blessing to me. You see, Jesus is central to the whole of the Bible. The Old Testament looked forward to the coming of Jesus as Messiah. And then the New Testament affirmed the incarnation of Jesus and looks forward to the second coming and describes the Christian's proper relationship with the Savior and, of course, with other people, how we should live out our Christian lives, what it means to be a Christian. The Old Testament detailed how Jesus Christ would die for our sins. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. They pierced my hands and my feet. They divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. But of course the Old Testament also predicted and spoke about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Psalm 16, nor will you allow your Holy One, to see corruption. So you see, right the way through, we have this wonderful crimson thread, as it were, that speaks of Jesus. And then in the New Testament, John 2, verse 19, Jesus himself foretold, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. For various reasons, Jesus' followers just had not grasped what he and the Bible were saying. And as we listen to the section of Scripture that Randy read to us as the two disciples are going along on that road to Emmaus, and they don't realize that Jesus is actually talking to them. He's walking with them. He's having a conversation with them. The disciples just couldn't take it in. They couldn't understand. The truths just did not penetrate their hearts and their minds. They refused to allow Bible promises to underpin their outlook. And the reason, perhaps distress, had overwhelmed them. 
And friends, Job had every reason to throw the towel in, didn't he? Boils from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. His children, dead. Everything taken away from him. He had reason more than any to throw the towel in and to curse God. But he didn't do it. Why? Because he knew that his Redeemer lived. And that meant everything to him. The Bible gives promises that cover every aspect of our lives, but so often we just become cynical. And we take the cynic, cynic's advice. Why trust in God when you can worry? <laughs> I meet people all the time. I, I, I do it myself. But I meet people and they're worried. They're worried about everything in life. They worry about the small details. They worry about the big details. And you talk to them about trusting in the Lord and they say, oh yes, I do that as well. And I'm thinking, hold on a moment. What's going on here? Don't make this mistake. Take God's word at face value and place your trust in him because he says you can trust me. I, I, I'm here, you can trust me. And you can know that your Redeemer lives. So often our first failing is that we fail to read God's Word and we fail to hear God speaking to us in His Word. And of course this leads us to the second mistake that so often so many of us make. We fail to understand God's plan of salvation. If we've not listened to God as He speaks to us in His Word then we haven't got a clue what it is that he's saying to us. If we can't be bothered to listen, how will we know? How will we understand? How will we understand what God has done for us? What God continues to do for us? Do you know what? Many people in the world think that God failed in his mission to save mankind because Jesus died. No, it's because Jesus died and was raised to life again that God is able to save us. That is the reason. So many people have convinced themselves that the only way to be good enough for God is to do it themselves. We try ourselves. We try to save ourselves. And we convince ourselves that there's no way that a God who loves human beings could ever not love me. But he does love you. But he wants you to put your faith and your trust in him. And he has made his plan straightforward. It's simple. It's easy to understand. Because he sent his son to die for us. And yet so often we've got this crazy notion in our hearts, in our minds, I can do it myself. And sometimes I think it's one of the saddest conversations that I have. Maybe a phone call comes and you're asked to go and see somebody. They're not even involved in our church, but they know that their mum who's dying needs something because she's frightened. She's scared. 
and you will sit and you will talk and you try you know one of the hardest things is to share the gospel with older people it's tough because they've managed to live their life as far as they're concerned successfully and they look back over their life and they see the way that they view it as being a good life because they didn't do all the things that other people did when you switch the TV on or when you read the paper they were different and so to say to them but you're a sinner is hard because that's the hardest thing that any of us have to face how can you call me a sinner and I say, well, it's not me calling you a sinner. God's Word describes you. We know that our natural inclination is to try and to reach God by self-effort. But the truth is that we know that this approach is doomed to absolute abject failure. How do we know this? Well, we know this because even though we've been trying... It hasn't made the slightest bit of difference in our relationship with God. The same sin continues to come back and to haunt us and to crush us. Oh yes, we try, we do everything we can. But there it is in the morning. It's staring at us. The same total lack of assurance that we had the night before plagues us in the morning when we wake. The same fear of death niggles away at us. And it won't go away. And we start to do some arithmetic. Oh no, I've got ten years left on average. Where's the other 60 years gone, 70 years gone? And all of a sudden, the reality of death begins to stare us in the face. So we know that it doesn't work. We know our way of doing things just doesn't do it. But because we have not listened to God who graciously speaks to us, and he does, we have no option but to battle on, hopelessly, lost in the darkness. Hoping we'll see some light. But it's not there. Millions and millions of people are trudging along this sort of treadmill of observing religious restrictions and rituals without testing and resting in the goodness of how God has worked to bring us to know him. As soon as sin came into the world, God began to unfold his plan to rescue mankind from the power and the penalty of rebellion against him. In the days before Jesus Christ walked on the earth, animals were sacrificed as substitutes for guilty people who had sinned and deserved death. And it would work something like this. An Israelite would come to the priest, would bring a lamb or a goat, and both of them would lay their hands on the head of the animal before it was killed. 
and they were unaware of it at that time. But it was a picture of Christ in the fullness of time who would actually die as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Now the Apostle Paul explains what happened when Jesus Christ died. He said this, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to to the scriptures 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 4 that is the gospel three times Jesus had spoken of being lifted up to die he said that when this happened he will draw all peoples to himself John 12 verse 32 so what does this verse tell us well it tells us that Jesus is the only way it tells us that there is no other way to come to God. It tells us that we do not need to look any further. It tells us that we can't look to ourselves. It tells us that there is nothing else we can do but to look to Jesus Christ. It tells us that we don't have to try in our own strength. As Jesus Christ is lifted up, he is a beacon that cannot help but draw men and women, boys and girls to himself. There is no other way to come to the Father but through Jesus Christ. Our Lord also said that when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, John 8 verse 28. You see, Jesus is the truth. He told us too that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 14 to 15. Jesus is the life. And Jesus said himself, I am the way, there is no other way to come but through me. I am the truth and I am the life. I don't know if you've ever thought of this and you'd probably say, well, why think about it at a Christmas season? But when the Roman soldiers did the very worst that they could to Jesus as they crucified him, God knew exactly what was happening. But in a way, God was also at that moment doing the very worst that he could do to his son. It's a strange thought, isn't it? You see, out of loving concern for us, God laid our sin on his son. Jesus carried it all. And he paid for it all. And this is the only way that God has provided whereby our sin, which separates us from God, can be removed and forgiven. There was nothing worse that God could do to his son. Jesus' death reveals and satisfies God's justice because sin was punished. And incredibly, Job saw this. 
He saw the Redeemer. So our first mistake that we so often make is that we ignore God's Word. And there are some of you here this evening who perhaps are very guilty of this. You ignore God's Word. You know you should read it. You try occasionally, but you struggle. You see, God has spoken and He continues to speak, but are we listening? The second mistake we make is that we so often choose not to understand God's plan of salvation. We want to make it harder or even try to add to it. Sometimes we even try to discourage other people from following the instructions that God has given to us. Joe and I recently had to go to a lawyer. Now, don't worry about this. It was nothing to worry about, okay? But the lawyer was trying to dissuade us from spending money with him. And I thought, that's interesting. It's not something you hear often from a lawyer. But that was the approach he was taking. And sometimes when it comes to the gospel, we seem to take pleasure in making it harder for people. And the final mistake that we finished talking of this evening is that we fail to recognize the presence of Jesus. How sad this is. Job didn't make that mistake. In the middle of all his suffering, he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. But the two disciples, as Randy was reading to us on the road to Emmaus, even though Jesus was walking and talking with them, they failed to recognize his presence with them. The two on their walk to Emmaus, Mary Magdalene in the garden, were preoccupied with their sorrow. The fisher disciples on the lake were preoccupied with their work so that the vision of the Savior was obscured. Friends, graciously I ask you this evening, is it possible that you are not able to see and know and hear the presence of the risen Savior in your heart and life because you're preoccupied. You're preoccupied with the cares of this world. And when you heard the account read of the disciples on the Emmaus Road and you discover that our Lord Jesus addresses these very three issues that we're speaking of this evening, Luke 24, 25, our Lord says to the disciples, O foolish ones, now that isn't a word that is used often in the Scriptures, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. And then verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded them in all the Scriptures, the things concerning him. If you want to know Jesus, you need to take hold of the Scriptures. You need to start reading. You need to start asking that God would illuminate these pages to you so that you know Jesus in exactly the same way as those two disciples did. And he spoke of the scriptures that spoke of him. In other words, our Lord Jesus says to the disciples, read the Bible. Read about God, my Father. Read of his love. Read about me and all that has been done. And friends, graciously I say to you, could this be your problem? You simply are not interested in reading the Word of God, and if you do, it's a cursory glance. And then Jesus begins to talk to the disciples about the Gospel. 
And look how he does it in chapter 24, verse 30. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And then in verse 34, we hear them returning to Jerusalem and they share the news that the Lord is risen indeed. To truly understand the Bible, we must listen to God speak. The Bible is a book that is spiritually discerned. Many people will say to me, I've read the Bible a couple of times, means nothing. Can't understand it. So you see, we have to come to God's word both with clean minds and open hearts because faith is indeed a gift of God. You see, our minds can be renewed. Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, going back a couple of hundred years or so, William Wilberforce uh, was a Christian member of parliament uh, in the uh, British parliament. And if you know anything of history, he was responsible for the abolition of the slave trade in England. And on one occasion, William Wilberforce took a friend of his by the name of William Pitt the Younger. That's because his father was an MP as well. And he decided to take him to a church where he knew he would hear the gospel. They sat together in the church and indeed the gospel was preached and proclaimed. William Pitt was a genius. He'd been educated at Oxford. He was what you could describe as a sharp cookie. And he did indeed become the Prime Minister of Great Britain. But walking away from the church afterwards, William Wilberforce turns and he says to his friend, well, what did you think? And this great intellectual guy turns to him and says, I haven't got a clue what he was talking about. It meant nothing to me. He said, I listened, but I couldn't understand. I didn't get it. The gospel is one of God's mysteries. So intellect is not a guarantee of one's ability to grasp its spiritual truths. Yet, if God gives understanding to a six-year-old child, that child understands. And that child can appreciate and come and know the risen Lord. A little child will be able to grasp what the greatest mind in the world cannot fathom. So we must never look at our children and say, you're too young. No, they're not. Friend, this evening ask God to instruct you. Call out to him for understanding and he will open your heart and your mind to understand 
his word. Then you turn to the scriptures and suddenly everything is different. That happened to me. One moment, dry as can be. A waste of time. And then the Holy Spirit works within your heart. And you turn to the scriptures and suddenly it's, it's full of life. And it's exciting. Uh, there's some things that will frighten you as well. You'll meet yourself. But wonderfully, you also meet the risen Lord Jesus. Ask God to instruct you. Open the Bible. Then lastly, open your eyes. And see Jesus. Job did that. The two travelers to Emmaus, they didn't understand salvation's plan, so Jesus opened their understanding. Their hearts were cheered when they saw the Christ they knew who had been crucified and whose body they had feared had been stolen. The Lord Jesus promised his presence to all those who trust him as Savior and Lord. How sad, therefore, to go through life without ever finding the Lord to be your friend and to be your helper. <clears throat> now, I'm not going to pronounce this place correctly, probably, and there might be some Dutch people who can understand it, but it is in Germany, so maybe we're both wrong. But in Freilingburg, in Germany, there was a beautiful organ in a magnificent Gothic cathedral. And the elderly church organist had always treated the instrument with the absolute greatest of care and pride. It was his pride and joy. Nobody could touch it. And while practicing one day in this beautiful Gothic cathedral, he was interrupted by a man who came up and said, I say, could I play the organ, please? And with a curt answer immediately, the elderly organist said, no. He knew where he stood. Nine. <laughs> he knew where he stood. So the stranger sat back for a moment and he listened a while longer. And then again, he plugs up the courage and he goes to the elderly organist and he asks again, can I play the organ, please? And he does it three times. And eventually, the old organist slides across the organ bench a little bit and allows the man to sit beside him. And instantly the cathedral is filled with the most beautiful music you could ever imagine. And the old organist was startled by this. And he turns to the young man and he says, Who are you? And Mendelssohn replies and says, My name is Mendelssohn. To think that I nearly didn't allow the master to play the organ, said the old man in adulation. Friends, don't you miss the opportunity presented to you today to allow the master to cleanse you from your sin and to control your life, to allow him to be your Lord and master. Open your eyes and your heart now. Today is the time, the day to meet Jesus. 
and tomorrow may be too late. I close with one final account. It's a police officer. It's quite an old one. It's from December 1985. It's from England as well. I'm sorry that most of my examples come from England, but at least we can't get into trouble here, can we, if, uh, if they all do. And it's a police officer. He's on duty the night that one of those thick banks of fog come in off of the ocean. We get those in England, and they, you know, I've seen nothing like it here. <coughs> you can't see your hand there. <coughs> and the fog bank rolls in, and it crosses over one of uh, the highways called motorways in England. And two trucks are going too fast. And one slides across the road and the other one crashes into it. The entire highway is blocked. The policeman knows he's been called and he's stood on the side further up from where he knows the accident is. And he is waving his arms and he is shouting and he is holding flares and he is doing everything that he possibly can to get people to slow down. And all the time they just race past him 70 miles an hour and then he hears bang. And that day 125 people died because they didn't slow down. They didn't take notice. Yes, they saw the flares, but they continued. Tears rolling down the police officer's face. He said, I felt powerless to prevent further disaster. And friends, in graciousness and in like manner, I urge you to turn from your sin and to trust the Savior because he loves you. He is able to save you and he's willing to save you. Turn to him, call to him. Do it today before it's too late. In the time of my favor I heard you and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2. Jesus Christ longs to forgive you. He's patiently as my brother David spoke of last week, I think, knocking on the door. He's patient. And he longs to meet with you. And he longs to meet your deepest need. He knows what it is already. But you've got to come to him. Will you acknowledge him now as your saviour? Now as your master? Now as your Lord? Now as your friend? Yes, regardless of what others may say, you can meet Jesus and know him exactly as Job was able to say and eventually the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and one day he shall stand on the earth 
and we can know that our Redeemer lives. How? Because he lives in us. When we come to him, call to him for salvation. And as I have said so often, not one person who has called to the Lord has been turned away. Father, I pray that each of us here this evening would understand the urgency that there is to call to you for our salvation. Father, your word makes it so clear that now is the day, now is the time. You were lifted up. And you show us the way. And so graciously, our loving Heavenly Father, I pray that each and every person in this tent this evening would be able to say, I know that my Redeemer lives. And Lord, for those who are not able to say that, my heart cries out for them. Of course, we continue to show love and respect but we have to continue to urge them to turn to you for their salvation. And so, Lord, bless us, we pray, even as we think of this Christmas time coming and as we consider all that you have done for us in sending your dear Son into this world. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And we thank you for your goodness to us. But we pray that we would be able, as Joe said so long ago, I know 